Thank you for joining. We're here today with Bindia Vakil, CEO and co-founder of Resilink, a firm that delivers supply chain resiliency to the enterprise. Now, we're going to be talking about supply chain turbulence, the impacts of climate change on supply chain, and possible solutions for companies around encountering these issues. But first, Bindia, let's talk about the semiconductor shortages and how this is impacting a number of sectors. Is there an end in sight? And what is the likelihood that in the future, a shortage of one component can impact several industries like we're seeing now? First of all, Kisa, thank you for having me here. Um, and what a time in supply chain. It's not, if it's not semiconductor, it's plastics. It's all those things that we don't watch so closely. They are inexpensive. We are um, not expecting them to be this disrupted and they are. So speaking of your question on semiconductor shortages, um, the industry has always been somewhat constrained for various reasons. One is it's the high, highly complex manufacturing involved, very precise. Um, the industry runs at more than 95% capacity in a normal uh, business environment. On top of that, recently what we've seen in the last five years in particular is this prevalence of IoT devices. Now we're seeing the pandemic accelerated, the timeline for electric vehicles. We're seeing semiconductors embedded in just about every product nowadays, isn't it? I mean, I feel like my shower should soon have a, a chip embedded in it. Uh, I don't know. It's like what ha doesn't have it? You know, soap dispensers have sensors. So the, the thing is the prevalence of these devices, the um, technology associated with, you know, Moore's law means every two, two and a half years, a whole new brand of um, uh, nanotechnology, nano-sized uh, semiconductors becomes available. Uh, these manufacturing locations have to be retooled for the latest and uh, greatest technology. So it's just a very difficult, we're always catching up. Now, the question about, is there an end in sight? Unfortunately, not for the next 12 months. Um, and it is a question of not only have we seen uh, demand has gone up significantly, but the industry has seen tremendous amount of supply chain disruptions. Um, we have seen multiple major factory fires. Just last month, we saw Renaissance had a factory fire that damaged 23 pieces of equipment. Um, before that, it was multiple factory fires with Unimicron. Uh, we had the Taiwan um, uh, water shortages um, due to drought conditions. So there's just this type of industry needs continuous water to operate the factory. So there's just a lot of different things going on. And unfortunately, we're not seeing an end in sight. Um, you know, the other thing you said, which was really interesting, what is the likelihood that something um, that affects one part can affect multiple industries. By the way, this is humanity's oldest problem. Uh, you, you all must have heard the saying, for want of a nail, a kingdom was lost. I mean, this is the thing, right? Um, uh, small things can affect big, can have a massive outsized impact. That's what we're seeing when the president holds up this little chip and says, oh my goodness, this little chip can cause our electronic um, supply chain to come uh, apart, our automotive supply chain to fall apart. You know, this, these devices are in medical devices, aerospace, defense products, it's in everything. And not just semiconductors, by the way, 
but after the hurricane season of last year, the Texas freeze and all of that, we're seeing massive disruptions on small things like plastics, resins, and polymers as well. Using our ESG data, pioneering technology, and expertise, Refinitiv provides transparency in markets, which in turn helps our customers to mitigate risk, enhance performance, and make sound, sustainable investment decisions. Refinitiv offers one of the most comprehensive ESG databases, which objectively measures a company's relative ESG performance across major themes, from carbon emissions and environmental product innovation to human rights and more. As the world continues to move to a low carbon economy, we help investors assess risks and opportunities, as well as see the bigger picture when making capital allocation decisions. Our ESG data can be accessed in a variety of ways. To learn more about different packages and offerings, visit us at Refinitiv.com. So we're talking about the disruptions and also, my goodness, everything that we've seen over the past just several weeks, months, the water shortages in Taiwan, factory fires, demand is increasing. That leads me to wonder, how is the business continuity planning process going to evolve? Are there certain things that we just can't prepare for? And more importantly, what should corporations consider and what should investors look for when thinking about what a robust post-pandemic business continuity plan should look like? In the past, business continuity was this thing that you did. It was this person that was working on business continuity nobody really wanted to talk to this person because we always thought well you know it's this black swan event that might happen or maybe never happen in our lifetime but nowadays we're seeing that the world around us has changed we have taken our supply chains and stretched them to 20 30 countries Today, if I'm a high-tech industry product or a car company, my supply chain can span as many as 100 countries. And so we are now experiencing black swan events in all of these places on a near regular basis. Um, a factory fire, um, one of the events that Reslink tracks is factory fires, and we see 250 of them a year in one industry right? Um, you add that to hurricane season, fires and droughts and winter storm and um, all of these different extreme weather types of events. And all of a sudden, we realize that business continuity, we're in the, all in the business of assurance, you know, because without assurance, there is no revenue. Without revenue, there is no profit. And we're all first needing to protect risk and continuity. So business continuity is more and more recognized as being vital, where before it was, um, you know, uh, lower in the list of priorities, cost savings, inventory management, lean, these types of initiatives would trump business continuity. Nowadays, we definitely see companies pay a lot more attention. I think COVID was definitely an eye opener, 100% of the world. And I mean, 100% of the world was impacted due to supply chain disruptions by COVID, right? And we're still not out of those waters. So I think we all understand how important risk and business continuity is. And also, I think, like I said earlier, it's the small things we don't pay attention to. We're very closely watching our high spend critical suppliers, but we can't ship a product with even the small part missing. 
right? Apple can't ship the iPhone if the connector cable is not there. Heck, if the packaging is not there. So every little thing is important to get a product out the door. But Bindi, when we talk about this, you know, you discussed climate change earlier and some of these severe weather weather patterns that we're seeing. Is this just a fact of life? Is this just the new normal in terms of supply chain? I mean, how can companies really thoughtfully mitigate those risks? What questions should investors be asking these companies to get clarity on the risks, not just now, but even years to come? Because, you know, climate change is here and, and we can expect it to to definitely continue to bear this fruit, if you will, over the next few years at least. Climate change is a fact of life. It is um, because climate is affecting our supply chains, right? And as I said, if your supply chain spans 20, 30 countries, 50 countries, a drought in one place, an extreme weather event in another, hurricane season, a winter condition or winter storm um, in yet another, means there's this continuous round of disruptions year round, no matter what hemisphere you're in, no matter what geography you're in, depending on the type of requirements your factory has. Some, like I said, need uninterrupted water, others need uninterrupted power, others need um, continuous access to ocean or water transportation. So the supply chain needs different things that that all need to be non-disrupted and continuously available. And the problem is that many companies don't ask questions. So as you said, what question should an investor ask? Um, investors should be asking, hey, do you know how many raw materials do you have and do you know where they come from worldwide? Right. So a lot of times we know where we buy something from or where it ships from. But where does our supplier actually make this? And I'll tell you, in this high tech industry, we uh, almost always have information about our suppliers thinking, oh, this is a corporate office. But corporate offices almost never have manufacturing anymore. <laughs> suppliers use um, other subcontractors, contract manufacturers all over the world. These are the places that are actually making our products. And investors don't know this. Heck, supply chain professionals sometimes don't know it uh, about the parts that they manage. Where are these parts coming from? And what are the inherent conditions in those regions? Because some of those sites are in hurricane regions. Other sites are in drought conditions. So we need to understand what is the nuance or what is the vulnerability or what is the dependency in those regions and what type of climate conditions could affect our supply chain? So we're talking about these climate conditions that impact supply chain. We also talk about key questions to ask. You just mentioned um, some really good ones. One of them is, where is this ship from? Where, where is this coming from? Um, that can take us back and tie into the infrastructure piece of this. When we look at the $2 trillion infrastructure commitment in the U.S., as well as the Belt and Road Initiative from China, we clearly see a deep and committed government and private sector partnership as it relates to infrastructure especially. Bindya, what strategic opportunities do you see around these partnerships that could have a positive impact or mitigate supply chain risk? So there are multiple things here, right? Um, I, I, I will touch on infrastructure 
and supply chain go hand in hand. Um, you need a, a supply chain functions effectively because it relies essentially on the port infrastructure, the transportation infrastructure, the power and telecommunication infrastructure. Without infrastructure, you cannot have supply chain. And actually, this is one of the reasons why um, Africa as a continent has not been able to develop Despite, okay, let me put back up. Despite the fact that a lot of the source materials that even China buys in order to power its factories actually originate in mines in Africa. So you pull it out of the earth. If you could process it within Africa itself, wouldn't that be a, a shorter supply chain? But Africa has not um, historically had that infrastructure, which is why um, China is actually far ahead of the US, in fact, in going into those African countries, building that infrastructure there and developing Africa as a very strategic source. But they're ahead of us. And because we're so hung up on sourcing out of China and we have forgotten that we need to actually understand what is the supply chain or to earth, um, that we're not paying attention to Africa. And I think we we have a huge opportunity right now in the aftermath of what we saw with Suez Canal, that this extensive dependence that we have on Asia and the continuous focus that we have on Asia, we're missing the strategic importance of countries like Africa, um, con the whole continent of Africa, the entire continent of South America. There are these are the last unexplored frontiers, I would say, where there's a tremendous opportunity to have um, strong government public partnerships with these regions, um, develop these as sources that are good alternate sources to some of the Asian Asia dependencies that we have, as well as create new markets. I mean, if you think about what supply chains have the power to do, supply chains can lift millions, hundreds of millions of people out of poverty. And if we just look at Africa as a source of charity versus really just rethink how we think of Africa as a location that is very strategic from a supply chain standpoint, um, we have the opportunity in this point from here on now to design that supply chain of the future. And the world is a whiteboard and completely empty. Let's go back and strategically look at it. And this just does doesn't just happen with public sector looking at it by itself. It doesn't private sector by itself can't do it. But I feel like with the government, um, with uh, President Biden's um, supply chain um, uh, recent White House executive order where they specifically have asked companies to do an assessment of their supply chain, understand where products are coming from. Um, I think this is a really good time to have this dialogue about how can countries band together and strategically look at different parts of the world and, and uh, develop supply chains and infrastructure there. In this podcast, we will continue to explore the role of responsible leadership and innovation from ESG investing to sustainable finance and the social and environmental impact on our communities. Don't miss out. Subscribe now.
So, and let's talk a little bit more about that deep dive in understanding the supply chain. How concerned should companies and investors be about gaining insight beyond tier one suppliers? How deep should that investigation go when looking at the supply chain, Bindia? You know, everything happens in that sub-tier supply chain. In fact, we have been monitoring and keeping an eye on our tier one suppliers, but I will tell you 80% of the time that a tier one supplier is disrupted, it's because something happened with one of their suppliers, 80% of the time consistently. Uh, we think we're chasing a supplier issue or supplier decommitted on a purchase order or something, but we never ask why did that happen? It happened because one of their suppliers had a factory fire or was somehow disrupted in a flood or hurricane or something. So understanding where the supply chain is, what those dependencies are, what those second tier sites are that our tier one suppliers are relying on, this can give us as much as three to four month early warning, three to four month early warning to shape our destiny um, on whether we live or die. <laughs> I think it's a, it's a must. It's an absolute must. Like I said, we're in the business of assurance and continuity means revenue means profit. Without continuity, no revenue, no profit. Companies live or die with supply chain disruption. So companies should be extremely concerned. They need to have programs to map the supply chain beyond the tier one and really understand what are those global sites that affect and shape their destiny and do something about it. Now, there is no such thing as risk-free. So we're not saying just by mapping your supply chain, you will become risk-free. No, but you will be able to protect ahead of time your highest, most critical revenue product because you are now better informed and more forewarned than reacting within when it, once it's already too late. Wow, and such great insight. So first of all, heard from you about how the pandemic accelerated timelines in terms of when these materials were needed. Semiconductors, we talked about earlier, were embedded in so many products, and so that aided and abetted to the situation that we're seeing now. And supply chains can span as many as 100 countries. So those black swan events in these places can occur regularly. Um, and I love the quote, very tweetable moment, in the business, we're in the business of assurance. And so you need that assurance to get to revenue. Um, some key questions, Bindia, that you brought up that investors should ask. How many raw materials do you have? Where do those materials come from? Where, do, where, where are the suppliers who make the materials? Where are they shipped? All critical questions and questions that really can tie back into the supply chain. Because as you said, without infrastructure, you can't have a supply chain. And finally, understanding those second tier sites can really give a company early warning and really can protect them in so many ways. It is clear, Bindia, why you were supply and demand chain executives first supply chain woman of the year because you're so insightful and thank you so much for your time on this. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. We invite you to subscribe to the Refinitive Sustainability Perspectives podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your content. What did you think about the podcast? Leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter for updates on our show. You can even check us out on YouTube now. Thank you for joining. See you next time.